Wayne Wong has just received his PhD in the study of film studies, martial arts film from, and it was a joint PhD supervision across London and Hong Kong universities. Wayne, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Paul. Excellent. So you're in Hong Kong at the moment? Yes, uh, I'm currently in Hong Kong. I'm working at uh, Hong Kong uh, Polytechnic University uh, as a full-time teacher there. Excellent. And you, you have um, kind of been with us from the start, haven't you? You came to more or less every <laughs> conference. And so that must have been right at the start of your PhD studies, right? When you, when you came to the first conference? Yeah. Yes, uh, it was a memorable experience. So it was my first time going to England, actually. So uh, actually not England, but uh, you know, yeah. Wales as well. Yeah, so it's my first time going there. So uh, I was so impressed with uh, the scale of the conference and also uh, the scholars, everything was so perfect. So that's why I decided to come, you know, as many times as possible. <laughs> yeah. So, so how, how did you manage to be doing a PhD in Hong Kong and London? How did that work? What was the situation there? Hmm. Uh, that's a very good question because uh, this joint, um, ben, this joint franchise is not quite common in academia. Uh, but uh, I find it very fruitful because uh, for a students who want to work with martial arts cinema, uh, I want to see from a different perspective, especially um, because my thesis deal with uh, martial art learning. So I want to compare, you know, how practitioners learn in Hong Kong and also how did how they learn uh, martial arts in 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 the UK, uh, where I based was in London. So I find it very interesting to compare uh, the two approaches and find you know similarity and differences. Okay, so so you yes. Uh, you are a, a practicing martial artist, and so you you studied. You went to different clubs in in the UK and in Hong Kong, and and kind of mm. thought about the teaching and learning strategies and and styles. What what was your yeah. main observation then? What's a main difference that you've perceived or a similarity across the schools? Um, I find it very uh, different. Is that um, because in Hong Kong, when I study martial art here. Uh, the approach um, was not very systematic, uh, so it was more like a teacher-disciple relationship. With uh, you know, you, we show great respect to our martial art instructor, but we often call that sifu. But you know, in 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 the UK, we still call um, you know the instructor sifu. But uh, the relationship is very different. We treat more uh, him more like a friend, and uh, uh, his teaching approach is also very step-by-step um, -step and very clear. So I think, um, you know, I see, you know, how, you know, martial arts can be taught to, you know, different kinds of people, not just to, you know, Hong Kong people in Hong Kong. So, yeah, I think that system seems to be more effective towards that the global kind of uh, martial art practitioner. Yeah. Oh, which one? The, 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 the kind of British, the systematic approach is... is... Yeah, the, yes, the systematic approach in, in the British, um, you know, in the UK's system. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is, that, is that because... Um, I guess in Hong Kong, there's a, an older and more sort of organic tradition of of, of martial of, of learning martial arts, whereas in Britain, mm. maybe became was more systematized, more institutional. So, like, you wanted to open a club, you open it in a sports center or in a community center. Mm. Whereas maybe in in Hong Kong, it's part of people's lives in different ways, and it's maybe in their house or in their studio. Is that a difference, maybe? <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess so. Because um, in Hong Kong, it usually uh, it's in those old buildings, especially in you know in Kowloon, and usually those buildings or those flats are uh, you know they were you know uh, passed down by you know the family of uh, the you know the instructor. So it's usually quite small, and that's maybe one of the reasons uh, you know the the style of teaching is is quite different because they are not uh, some of them some of the teachers they are they may not be aiming at you know having more students so they just want to you know pass on their arts uh, and also the oral tradition as well because you know many of them are quite old and they may not you know uh, want to or they don't know how to develop a systematic systematic approach to pass on their martial arts i guess it, it's something i mean i've taught when i I've, it might not just be a, it might not be a, a, a China or Hong Kong British difference. It might just be a difference of context. So, like if I'm teaching a class and it's in a community centre, when I'm going along there, I'm thinking, okay, so we've done this. We need to do this, and it's a group, and it's formal, and it starts at this time and it ends at this time. But if someone comes round to my house to learn something, some Tai Chi, some push hands, or something like that, you just kind of go, oh, do you fancy learning this? And what about this? And I'll show you this thing. And it's like no no structure. There might be a vague sense of, of structure. There's no syllabus. It's just like, have you done this? Or mm -hmm. have you ever, it might just be something like that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there are some like really old masters in Hong Kong. They, you know, when they, um, when they are in the gym or in the studio or at their home, some sometimes they won't teach uh, by themselves, so they would you know ask the senior students uh, to give instructions, and then they would you know uh, observe uh, from behind, and maybe they are you know reading newspaper at at the same time. So so just find out you know when should be the right time to intervene. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. And so I mean we can talk more about martial arts, but what about? Um... Mm. Well, in terms of film studies, because you've, you've done a lot of work on different um, mm. aspects of film. What was the, what was the place of, of, of film studies in your, in your PhD? What was the, the kind of title or the, 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 the focus of it? So my focus was on, um, you know, film aesthetics. So especially uh, cinematic representation of martial arts in uh, Chinese martial arts films. So I focus on uh, the hand-to-hand -hand combat tradition, which is uh, known as Kung Fu uh, tradition. So we look at you know films such as you know Bruce Lee's film, or before Bruce Lee, we have uh, the Wong Fei Hong film, the original Wong Fei Hong, not not the Jet Li one in the nineties. But I will also talk about more recent, like you know uh, the Yip Man film. So this hand-to-hand -hand uh, combat tradition uh, was like criticized by many film scholars as you know a vulgar tradition in in a sense that because they focus on you know violence and uh, um, you know visual excitement but i was trying to figure out a new way of looking at these kung fu films so that you know i want to connect uh, the this tradition with you know chinese philosophy and chinese aesthetic uh, especially so that was my thesis yeah and so so you um You've written about that. You published in um, in a martial arts studies journal, didn't you? And um, mm. uh, and you talked about the whole kind of when and Wu um, aspect to to mm. kind of the intellectual and the physical sides of it. I mean, what would you? How would you explain this to someone, let's say, who didn't know anything about the the the, the Chinese tradition or Chinese philosophy? Would you say that there's there's philosophy in it or would you say that it's just a different realm it's just 
cinematic and it's action or not action? How does it relate to different forms of um, maybe philosophy or culture in, in, in China and East Asia? Mm, that's a very interesting question. So uh, my first response, um, re responding to your uh, concepts of Wan and Wu. So, so Wan refers to uh, the literary side of uh, Chinese mas masculinity. So it's more like a scholarly uh, attribute. And in Chinese culture, we also have another attribute that's called the martial, the Wu uh, dimension as well. Mm -hmm. So the Wen and Wu um, together, they form the uh, most ideal uh, Chinese masculinity. So I think that would be the cultural perspective of, uh, you know, understanding the place of martial art in traditional Chinese society. And of course, in different dynasties, uh, there are different relationships between the Wan and Wu. So there were times where, you know, Wan uh, is placed higher than Wu, and sometimes Wu uh, would be higher. So uh, it really depends on the historical context. So I think the Wan and Wu concept would be the, you know, the cultural understanding of martial arts in, in China. As to um, your question about uh, the philosophy or aesthetics. So uh, my proposition uh, was that I want to find out, okay, so if we film a, a martial art performance on screen, and then how we can express, you know, our Chinese philosophy, such as Confucianism, uh, Taoism, and Buddhism through specific forms, or the cinematic medium, is it effective? in you know mediating that uh, concept of you know chinese uh, buddhism or confucianism something like that okay so I, I would i would like to try to bridge that gap between uh, cinema and, and philosophy uh using you know martial performance okay i mean there's a lot i would ask about that i'm thinking when as you're talking i'm thinking about Ip man i'm thinking about the Ip man films mm. and i'm thinking about the way in which, not just in, in, in Ip Man, but also in The Grandmaster, which is also about Ip Man, and uh, uh, the, the character, the good guy, like the main guy, is always mm. very restrained and very dignified, and, and the opponents mm. are often huge and, and, and flailing, and, uh, and, and so th there's, there's, it's, like, it's like about a kind of self-control, isn't it, a kind of dignity. But that's not just mm. that's not just in a Chinese tradition. I mean, if you think about Western action mm. heroes, if you think about Jason Bourne, yeah. if you think about James Bond, these are very restrained, yeah. dignified. You know, is that necessarily Confucian or is it necessarily about being a, a kind of a Chinese gentleman? Is it or is it maybe transcultural? Or is it just a cinematic convention that the hero is in an action film is probably going to be more reserved. I don't know. What do you think? A lot of stuff there, but what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my, my first response is um, if we look at it from the Asian perspective. So if we look at like Kung Fu or Wuxia, Swordsmen, Swordswomen, or, you know, as you said, the Yip Man tradition. So we can go back to uh, Kwan Tuk Heng's and Wong Fei Hong films. But we can also take a look at, you know, Japanese tradition, like, you know, the samurai films, the Kurosawa's film, like Yujimbo. So they all have that uh, calm presence. And uh, of course, if you take a look at it from the Confucian perspective, uh, that humble uh, attribute, I think it's one of the key aspects 
of confusion, uh, humaneness. So um, that would would actually connect to the form of uh, you know there are some softened form. Uh, one of them is called Honga. So they stress the uh, the lower body. So the lower body is also one of the ways to understand how we can you know take uh, forces. So my approach was that you know when you face uh, intense conflict coming up, then you you know shake. But you know if you take you can you know slower down your body and you can um, lower your 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 balance, then you can take harder forces. So I, I will connect this. So in my in my thesis, I connect this with uh, you know the confusion idea of of centeredness. So you you place your 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 center balance lower so that you can you know take forces. So I think that's one of the ways to deal with it. But your comment about you know whether action hero itself is um, more or less calm, uh, I think it really depends. So if you look at like Bruce Lee, uh, he may not be calm sometimes, no. so he can also have his very you know emotional moment. Mm -hmm. But if you also look at other genre like you know Rambo, you know he is not very calm either. So uh, I guess um, it depends on the particular kind of action genre. So if you talk about martial art films, uh, I think the hero uh, more or less is uh, has a, you know has a calmer presence. But if you talk about you know uh, Hollywood action uh, in general, so it depends on what kind of yeah. So Sean, I would say. yeah. So okay. So it, so it can be. It's a a type of physicality that can be connected both mm. with a possibly a, a something that you might call a philosophy or a culture, but also it's a, it's a, it's a cinematic convention because the, it's all, well, there's so many different ways of, <laughs> of talking about this. Cause I'm also, <laughs> my thought process is being really confused by thinking about Cobra Kai and I'm trying to work out, you know, the, the Netflix uh, remake or, or the, the follow on of, of, of the Karate Kid. And that's all about, it's always about gaining and losing balance. So in the first Karate Kid, um, Danny LaRusso has to do the, that kick, but he has to be incredibly calm to do it. And also in the 2010 remake where Jaden Smith has to do that preposterous, mm. impossible kick. And it has to be mm. a mental, like you have to learn that calmness. You have to learn that, that control, don't you? I mean, the, the Cobra Kai yeah. really messes with that and people are learning and losing and becoming chaotic and becoming disorganized. Okay, very interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> There's so much, to, so much to go with that. Um, so tell us more about, um, about the aesthetics. Is it the, with, the, with the either... Because there's sometimes a distinction there between the sort of wuxia tradition and the, and the kung fu tradition of Bruce Lee. So there's the more mm. crouching tiger, hidden dragon tradition, and then there's, mm. the, there's the Bruce Lee mm. fists and anger and passion. Um, are those aesthetics now becoming more transnational? Are we seeing them incorporated into more Western films too, or is it still something uniquely Chinese and, and Hong Kong? Mm, that's a very interesting question that I was uh, trying to figure out the connection between, uh, you know, the you know more calm and tranquil understanding of martial arts. So one of the keywords I uh, used was tranquility because in the past when film study focused so a lot on uh, authenticity and expressivity, expressivity, so you mentioned Bruce Lee, the, the passion, but not many scholars talk about tranquility. 
So I think this tranquility aspect is uh, one one of the key dimension in you know kung fu and wuxia film. And I think in the early two thousand or around you know the millennium, uh, lots of Hong Kong filmmakers they they sought opportunities in in Hollywood or in in Europe, working with you know different filmmakers on on action films. So I think that. Uh, global kind of like you know uh, flow of uh, martial art talents uh, brought about that uh, movement in aesthetics. So when we look at films such as uh, the Matrix, mm -hmm. so we have lots of kung fu elements in it, and also aesthetically speaking, uh, it plays quite a lot of emphasis on uh, tranquility as well. Especially if we took a look at the the end, the final fight scene between you know uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, Hugo Weaving then we can find that calmness. And you know, after The Matrix, we can also find that trace in you know, some of Keanu Reeves' films. Uh, uh, he made that, you know, The Man of Tai Chi, I guess. So I think that film also expressed that kindness a, a bit, a, a lot. So um, we can see such connection if we trace uh, the production team or specific actors or directors who work with uh, you know, Hong Kong talent before, then we can also we can find that aesthetic uh, characteristics. Uh, maybe in recent uh, example would be um, John Wick series because John Wick series, uh, the the production team uh, worked in in the Matrix as well as uh, in Man of Tai Chi as well. Yeah. So you can see quite a lot of um, similar aesthetics in, in in John Wick, but of course uh, there are like some differences. So uh, I can elaborate a little more if you want to know more. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's absolutely fascinating, but I want to, I guess, connect this back to martial arts practice as well, because yeah. um, I was thinking about this and I'm thinking about calmness and we're thinking about the convention in, in these films where you're going to win if you're calm or, or you're not going to be ruffled and destroyed psychologically. And how does that square with your experience of, of say, sparring or, or, or fighting? Because in some senses, it's true. You know, you might be against a, a tougher opponent, a better opponent, stronger, faster, etc. But mm. if you're totally in the zone, that's mm. not, it's, it's not a bad place to be. It's when you're totally like busy in the head going, oh my God, oh my God, I hope I don't get hurt here. Um, then you, it, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible place to be. So is it just a... Is it just a film convention or is it something that that has in some way seeped out from the wisdom of fighting or, or has it been fed back into the wisdom of fighting or, or what do you think? Just speculate. What do you think? <laughs> I think because uh, I think you, I see it from the Hong Kong perspective, lots of filmmakers in Hong Kong who make martial arts films, they, they, they are practitioners. So I think they would bring this dimension into their filmmakings. So uh, I think, as Bruce Lee himself also said that you, you need to remain calm when you're fighting and, uh, you know, getting, you know, too tense is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that, you know, uh, martial arts, cinematic representation of martial arts should connect with real martial art practice. And that calmness is one, one of the key ways to, to make that connection. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with you. So, yeah, this is a very important uh, dimension, I think, aesthetically. So how we can manifest that calmness uh, using film language is uh, one of my, my concerns in my thesis. So maybe you can use static camera, use centerness, or you can use a flashback 
So to think about your training in the past and how that training in an empty room can help you beat uh, the opponent now. So I think that that also uh, very interesting to see how different ways you can manifest that calmness through editing. Yes, through editing, absolutely. Um, and I'm thinking obviously of the of the the final scene in one of the It Man films, I think, where he's just flashbacks to his, his wooden dummy training. Yeah. He's actually just beating hell out of somebody who's essentially out on his feet like that. <laughs> boom, boom, bang, bang. <laughs> but it's tranquility. He's just going through the training yeah. motions on the dummy. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, uh, say, film studies. Is In your experience, having researched across... Um, the scholarship around martial arts films and action films. Is there an east-west divide? Is there a difference in the way that, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if you read like say maybe Chinese language scholarship. I, I don't read mm. Chinese language scholarship, but in, in, even in the English language scholarship, is there a difference between the way that it's written about in, in say Hong Kong and Chinese universities, as opposed to like maybe American and British university scholarship? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> academic question. So I think uh, one of the ways to un approach this is to see it from, you know, the Euro-American film theory. Like, you know, they would, uh, maybe when I was in Kings, uh, they have a film studies department. So they, they would place the emphasis more on uh, the Euro-American side. So maybe we would take a look at, you know, realism. Say, for example, like Bazan and, you know, how... Uh, Kung Fu or the authenticity of Kung Fu relate to uh, realism and how that would you know mean for Chinese film theory. So I think Chinese film theory is one area that is not, uh, of course, there has a lot been you know a lot been developed in the past two decades. But in terms of Kung Fu cinema, uh, it's still a lot to be said about uh, this field. So that's why I think um, there are quite a lot of Chinese film study material um, written in scenes, I think since the Republican era, but lots of them are not yet translated by, by film scholars. Not, I mean, uh, not to mention that it, it, it has been applied in the study of marginal cinema. So I think, uh, you know, I really am excited about this task of translating uh, Chinese film theory and how I can make a connection between Chinese side of uh, looking at things with uh, the Euro-American side. So that's one of my um, objective <laughs> after I finish my PhD, yeah. Oh, so, th so that's a project that you're going to be uh, undertaking, is it to do some more translations and, and kind of writing about the differences in approaches? I see. Yeah, um, I think uh, because safer, yeah. Well, yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah. In, that's right. If, would you say that there is um, a distinct kind of Chinese um, film theory tradition that is very, very different from uh, the Euro-American tradition. Mm, that's very interesting. So we look at uh, what is real quite differently. So we would, you know, say for example, we look at uh, the concept of uh, emotion or, you know, affect. So we would look at the idea of, uh, in Chinese we call that qing, but qing uh, has a diff has different layers of meaning, just like, you know, we have emotion, we have affect. So I, I watched the podcast when you talk about affect as well. So I really well, was inspired by that. So I think, um, yes, in, in, on the one hand, uh, we can make that critical 
uh, intervention on how to understand artifacts from a Chinese perspective, but we also need to avoid the trap of essentialism. So I'm still figuring out the best way to do it without, you know, uh, falling the trap into, you know, essentialism. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Essentialism is a, it's a really difficult thing to, to navigate, isn't it? I tend to think about things in terms of, because you don't want to essentialize the difference between East and West. Yeah. But sometimes can, you can look at a context and go, yeah, but that is so different. And people are thinking in such a specific way that, but it's not really about any kind of essence. It's more about a kind of weight or a gravity, a density to, to certain traditions, isn't it? It's the, rather than like, this is essentially Chinese. It's like, but for a, a long history, this has been, these are the institutions and these are the values and these are the connections that people make. And that's how, that's how I tend to try and like unpick unpick something that looks like an essence it's not an essence really yeah <laughs> yeah i i i'm totally aware of <laughs> the tendency of you not to use the word essence <laughs> in, in the podcast it's a crime it's a crime you can't you can't propose an essence i don't know if there are essences to things and i often i do wonder and worry about essences because i mean even in in, in martial arts practice, uh, you know, and you find that you might combine, I'll take something from one aspect of training, like I might try and use a sort of Tai Chi like approach if I'm doing a screamer or boxing, and I might want to incorporate mm. some yoga into Qigong and, and it's like, what am I doing here? Like, what, what is the effect of this? What, am I losing everything? Or is there, is there a reason why I can't combine these different techniques from different traditions? And I, I, it kind of bothers me all the time, like about what I'm doing with the essence of something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's why. That's right. Yeah. So that's why in my um, framework, when we talk about uh, you know the connection between uh, the Euro-American understanding of cinematic martial arts, so I use that as as the basis for me to build on my idea of tranquility because tranquility cannot you know be out of nowhere so you need to uh, as a filmmaker so if you want to pre present that tranquility it is necessary to go through the process of you know uh, expressing authenticity first you, you need to show the martial arts you need to make it believable or right. you know in, in some way in some way because like even in you know martial arts films you have kung fu film but you, if you think about crouching tiger hidden dragon so it is real in that universe. So you have to make it, you know, uh, believable in, in the narrative. But uh, on the other hand, you also need to make it expressive. But the, the degree of that expressivity um, can, be, can be varied. And finally, um, you know, how that tranquility can be represented. That's uh, one of my research questions. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm thinking about tranquility and I'm thinking about cinematic depictions of it. And the thing that leaps to my mind is, um, is The Last Samurai. So in The Last Samurai, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a film that people, people hate The Last Samurai. Um, with Tom Cruise, you know, Tom Cruise as the, yeah. as the, 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 the disenfranchised and, and, and kind of ruined American who goes east and he, he's, he learns to meditate and he learns like kendo or kenjutsu or something like this. And, and, um, 
and then eventually he he becomes like the, the the last samurai. But in that film, we do see some some quite good depictions of like that kind of like no mind that kind of. I mean, mm. what do you think about that? That's a Hollywood film made made uh, in a Japanese context, and it's attempting to communicate something. But now, is that an Orientalist understanding of 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 tranquility, I mean, yes, but is it worse than a Chinese or Hong Kong depiction of martial tranquility, in, in your opinion? Mm, I, I, I wouldn't say that is, you know, it is a bad thing because I think it, it's at least an attempt to make that cultural, you know, uh, dialogue between the different understanding of Asian or martial art aesthetics. So I think um, that's a really good thing to do uh, because we want to promote different ways of, uh, you know, representing martial arts, uh, especially in action films. So we don't don't just want, you know, Michael Bay style or Rambo style. So we want something different. And um, on the other hand, I I think that um, I think it's you're right that you know Hollywood maybe they prefer. Um, uh, a, a, a Buddhist or you know the Zen, Zen way of understanding martial arts quite a lot maybe you know starting from the 60s 70s so they, they place quite a lot of emphasis in you know the Zen Buddhism and um, but the difference I would say in you know the Asian context would be apart from the Zen Buddhist tradition we still have the Taoist tradition we still have the Confucian tradition as well so I think um, Chinese martial arts films they sort of like combine uh, different, you know, schools of Chinese or Asian philosophy uh, more than you know the Hollywood uh, understanding, in a way. Okay, so so that and well, yeah. there, um, yeah. No, you go. Yeah, I think there's one more point. Yeah, I think there's one more point is about the the the, the archival aspect of martial arts because uh, in Asian context they would they would tend to feature. Uh, a specific form of martial arts. Mm -hmm. So I think they would, you know, make that connection between the martial arts form and the philosophy uh, behind it or the connection to tranquility uh, through the form. Uh, that aspect would be more prominent when compared to the Hollywood uh, uh, approach of, you know, uh, aesthetics uh, featuring martial arts. Okay, yeah. so so the, the filmmakers then are very literate in terms of uh, martial styles, but would mm. it? What what about in terms of audiences? Do you think that that um, a Chinese or or Hong Kong or, or East Asian audience is more literate in in the martial styles? So, for instance, um, you know, if you watch a film like like The Grand Master, and and it's all about styles, mm. isn't it? And it, it's very, very clearly about styles. But also there have been certain, like, you know, Jet Li films and so on, where it's all about the interplay of different styles and different logics of fighting, much of which is, mm -hmm. is all of which is lost on, on non-martial artists. So who is that literacy mm -hmm. for? Is, is it for? is it for a Chinese audience or is it for an aficionado audience or is it for the directors and choreographers themselves? I mean, who, mm. who why? You know, who is it for? What's it doing? <laughs> mm, okay, so one one. Okay, so we need to maybe think about um, who who was the investor. <laughs> so if we think about the investor was uh, you know from uh, 
people who have connection with certain martial arts school or martial style, which is quite quite the case in in Hong Kong. There are some businessmen who uh, whose uh, kung fu master uh, he he respect a lot, so he wants to you know spend a huge amount of money and uh, make a film about that that master. Mm-hmm. So I think that would you know make that uh, connection quite easily. Mm-hmm. And um, it also depends on the period of time because I agree with you that these days the audience they can't tell which style is which because everything it's so uh, um, mixed up now. But mm-hmm. in in the past, like, like say uh, Hong Kong in the 60s or 70s or even earlier 50s, because lots of people in Hong Kong they practice martial arts, mm-hmm. so maybe they have people who who work in that film as well. So I think in that period, the you know the people, the audience, they would uh, learn martial art or they would comment on the the style on screen quite a lot. So I think uh, in that period of time, Hong Kong, uh, that literacy would be uh, very important. Uh, yeah. So I think nowadays, um, what's that for? I think sometimes I would say, um, especially for the UN film. So I think that would help. Uh, passing on the tradition of Wing Chun because in the past Hong Kong they focus quite a lot on uh, the Hong Ga style mm. so uh, they you know make a lot of film about Hong Ga's but uh, the Yip Man film throughout you know the 70s to 90 only one or two films about Wing Chun so mm. one of them by Michelle Yang uh, but uh, not it's not until you know late 20, 2000s uh, when Donnie Yen started making Yip Man film then a whole lot of Yip Man film came out so I think it's also about you know the struggle between uh, different uh, southern Chinese martial arts styles in Hong Kong and in the cinematic realm. Yeah. So why do you think that there was such an explosion of interest in in Yip Man at that time? So it was like was it two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine? It started to be made mm-hmm. and released, and and yeah. and there were so many different films that came out really quite quickly. I mean. Do you think there was a, I mean, I have my theories, but do you have a specific <laughs> theory about why Yip Man, why Wing Chun at that time? Okay, I think one of the reasons was that if we take a look at it from uh, the economic or financial perspective was that Hong Kong after 2003 uh, uh, has a, the CPA program. So when, you know, they encourage filmmakers to uh, work with you know China and then have co-production. So I think that platform allowed lots of filmmakers to to work on uh, topics that can you know uh, be filmed and can be also screened in the in the large Chinese market. So I think kung fu is one of the genres that you can get uh, uh, past the censorship quite easily because uh, it deals with the idea of Chineseness, and uh, I think that's one of the key reasons why um, Kung Fu film got, you know, so popular and also lots of people want to, you know, share that uh, profit. So that's one of the reasons from the financial and economic perspective. But uh, I personally also think that uh, it's from a cultural perspective, I also think that it's a way for Hong Kong filmmakers to assert a voice because I think Yip Man uh, is, is a Hong Kong person and also uh, it's a story about Bruce Lee's uh, master. So mm-hmm. I think it has a deep connection to Hong Kong. So in, 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 in the context where, you know, Hong Kong filmmakers got, you know, their voice uh, kind of like, you know, diminished in, in the global production platform. 
So why not we take advantage of this opportunity to say some stories about Hong Kong so that let more people know about uh, this city and also the story, the history of this city. Of course, there are lots of things got changed in the Yiman film and you don't recognize uh, you know, Hong Kong as Hong Kong in the Yiman film. And also politically speaking, it's quite different from the historical fact. So, but I think there are different versions of Yip Man. So if you look at um, the Herman Yao's Yip Man in 2010, so that is more grounded in, in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. like in, in, in terms of story and also, yeah, lots of other aspects as well, yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, I, um, I don't want to touch on any controversial subjects, but do you think that given the, the, the issues around Hong Kong identity and Hong Kong, you know, who controls Hong Kong and, and so on. Do you think that we're going to see, or we, are we already seeing the use of martial arts in films to, to contribute to, to that discussion, to assert a Hong Kong identity or to try and do something to show the world, you know, something important about Hong Kong? Or do you think that's likely? Because, um, you know, mm. in terms of censorship and in terms of what's allowed, you know, things have to be quite metaphorical, don't they? But also, not clearly metaphorical, I guess. <laughs> you know, it can't be too transparent, can it? If people want to protest about power and control and, and, and maybe democracy or freedom. Do you think that, do you think there might be, do you think it'll stick with Ip Man? Or do you think that we'll, you know, Ip Man is, Ip Man is finished. Is it a different figure we need now? Maybe Bruce, Bruce um, Lee, even. let's just talk uh, about Bruce <laughs> Lee again. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, ev everyone connected to Bruce Lee has already been, you know, dealt with, <laughs> basically. So, so we recycle Bruce Lee in, in, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and then now recycle Yip Man. We have so many Yip Man now. And even, you know, everyone connected to Yip Man, they have like, you know, a side stories as well. So I think, um, yes and no. But I think there are also some attempts to contain Yip Man under the, you know, the grand narrative of, um, you know, Tai Chi. So if you look at Jack Ma's, uh, you know, short um, martial art film called uh, Gong Shao Dao, right? So he, he, he starred himself as a martial artist. So um, uh, the, the founder of Alibaba, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he was start, he cast himself as a martial artist and he played Tai Chi mm -hmm. and he, um, he actually uh, beat uh, <laughs> Yip Man at the end, mm -hmm. so that has a lot of meaning. So, what 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 does that mean, I and mean, how is the relationship between the northern China and southern China got, got played out in in that short clip? So, I think it's very interesting to see uh, the the struggle uh, metaphorically, and also how Hong Kong use uh, martial art as a like you know a sticking hand with. Uh, you know, uh, different, you know, uh, yeah, it's very difficult to pinpoint, yes, but that's, that's it, yeah. So the idea of, you know, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, so what does, what does the future hold for you? Have you got any uh, publications lined up? You've, you've got a, a job at the moment, and I hope it's a long-term or a permanent or a good job. Uh, in terms of publications, when will we be seeing more of your work in the English language that we can have access to? Mm. So I'm currently um, uh, submitted an article uh, about um, the connection between Hong Kong martial cinema and uh, Hollywood action, recent Hollywood actions. Mm -hmm. So I focus on uh, the John Wick series. So how the idea of tranquility 
uh, can be manifested in uh, the brutal action of uh, a neurogenic franchise. So lots of people think neurogenic uh, is a reckless person, but I see otherwise. So I see how um, they use the environment, the fight, the setting of, of, the, of the fight scenes to express that tranquility. So how that space can be, uh, you know, understood as a Hollywood's intervention to Hong Kong uh, martial aesthetic. So I think that's uh, uh, not restricted to the John Wick franchise, but also uh, take a look at, you know, Black, Black Panther and also the superhero films and how that motif can also be, you know, uh, used by uh, different genres as well. Mm. So that's uh, what I'm currently doing. So I, hopefully I can um, turn my thesis into a book mm. <laughs> so I can, you know, use, uh, you know, let more people know about this concept of tranquility and to uh, review the, the, the Mark Kung Fu and Wuxia films in the past to see it from a different uh, angle. Yeah. I mean, when you, that, just one last thing on tranquility, because when you're talking about John Wick, and that character, he reminds me of of a little bit about if, of Odesu from um, from Old Boy, who is just mm -hmm. like he's, there's a tranquility to his to his it's a kind of vengeance, it's a kind of anger, and, and those films, that film is 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 about revenge, isn't it? But if there's a, and so and John Wick is motivated by a kind of revenge, but in executing that. It's a kind of tranquility, and now I'm thinking also of Forrest Whitaker in 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 Ghost Dog. There's a kind of like this is what I'm mm. doing, and it's a single-minded. There's no confusion in the head. It's just I'm doing this, and that's a type of tranquility that's very different to a to a passive tranquility, isn't it? That kind of uh, this is what I'm doing, and nothing will stop me. You you will have to kill me because nothing will stop me. Mm. There's maybe there's two resonances to tranquility there. There's the, the hippie sitting, meditating, who's, there's a passivity mm. there maybe. I don't know, I don't know. But it, these are some of the thoughts that occur to me. Yeah, yeah, so I, I really like the examples that you just gave. So I think, yes, it corresponds to, you know, different kind of tranquility. And also, uh, if you have watched the, the latest Avengers, like Infinity War, so the, the Athenos was, was also a character about, you know, he, he wants to destroy humanity uh, and he has a very clear focus. Uh, so I think, yes. And uh, I would say, you know, if you look at John Wick at the end, he got his uh, finger, like, you know, dis, you know disembodied. And uh, I think the character grow a little bit uh, in the narrative. So from the first John Wick to the third one, so you can see his growth and his changing perception about, you know, revenge. So he does not rely on, you know, um, uh, revenge anymore at the end, I think. So he changed his perspective and that would also give uh, a new insight about tranquility. So I think we, we should pay attention to um, the character growth in, in the narrative. So I think they're learning at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if you heard the, the thing or being on my on my computer, but that's an alert that tells me that um, uh, our time is <laughs> our time is, is drawing to a close. But um, but Wayne, it's been lovely to talk to you again. Thank you so much for taking the Thank time you. to talk to me. Thank you.